Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 10 and our guest today is Elske Hacheratz. Welcome. Thank you. We met, I think, two days, two weeks ago. There was a CSA uh, presentation about the rising movement of uh, Chinese CSA. It's already like uh, half million farmers are involved. And then you promoted also the Omur de Tain. Yes. The garden in Rancun where you work for. Yeah, exactly. And then I asked if we can have a talk. And now you are here. And now I'm here. Yes. yes. Cool. So, first of all, you when, when you came to Wageningen, uh, you you were a biology student. Yeah. So your bachelor was also about biology? Yes, yes. My bachelor was in biology. Also in Wageningen? In Wageningen, yeah. yeah. And I decided to come here because I liked a lot um, uh, the nature and yeah. to be outside. And uh, yes, that's why. And then Wageningen is green and has a lot of nature around. Yeah. So that's why I came here. But there was no farming background? No, or no. gardening? No, not at all. No, just the interest of uh, nature. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I also didn't grow up at the farm or something. Ah. No. Okay. And then the years passed in in Wageningen. First, you completed your your bachelor and mm -hmm. you started your master also in biology. Yes. And already, you you haven't finished your uh, master in biology, but you started parallel the the rural development or what was yeah. this? It's quite tough, I yeah, guess, two yeah. masters. Well, yes, I um, I actually started my master biology because I didn't know what else to do. Uh -huh. And I was thinking to go um, traveling for a year. But then it was like, no, I, sh I should just continue. So I did. Um, and But along the way, I really didn't like it uh, mm. because I was getting more and more interested in the question how to feed the world because mm. we see all these papers uh, yeah. here, uh, like uh, our like for our research, and then always the introduction is how are we going to feed the world? Yeah. And with biology, it was all very rational, like um, how do we produce more yield? Uh, it was a very rational approach. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this gut feeling that there was something else, um, so I. Yeah, I didn't know what to do until I did the AID and there I met uh, one of the girls she was doing uh, international development and she told me oh, she should join to the course and see if it's something for you and so I did and uh, yeah I really loved it the first yeah. moment I, I joined so then I said I wanted to switch um, and I kind of really left biology and went into oh. rural development uh, okay. MDR and uh, I really loved it a lot and by the time I was starting my thesis then they said well you're already so far ahead in uh, biology why don't yeah. you just finish it and then I got an offer to conduct a, a thesis on malaria in Vietnam wow. and I said wow that's uh, very interesting and uh, yeah why not and uh, that's why I I finished that one as well <laughs> yeah it was my intention wow. to take two masters yeah. but um, in the end I did and I, I had some really funny periods where in the morning I had biology and yeah. it was very much on how are we going to produce more yield or something yeah. uh, and then in the afternoon it was sociology and there it was yeah. uh, what's the bigger picture and uh, yeah, yeah wh what is it yeah. about in other viewpoints. Yeah. It's super interesting because uh, as I told you I also uh, came to, I, I was also a student at the MDR mm -hmm. And I also had uh, under background before it was pure, not pure, but agri uh, agriculture and economics. But I had a master before in Hungary, so it was again the full rational, full material. In the whole university, we didn't even uh, have anything like organic agriculture course. Nothing. It was just large scale yield and cash crops. But after that, following these courses at MDR, it was mm -hmm. like, wow, shocking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I really liked it because we had um, the, the courses were very critical towards development uh, yeah. itself. Uh, that's the funny thing, you kind of learn um, 
why development is often not uh, good. Yeah. Um, um, but also you are in, in a small group of people and they come from all over the world. So you have a lot of conversations uh, about their culture, how, how they view things, uh, yeah. uh, how development goes in their country or something. Yeah. And I think I learned as much, if not more, from that than from the courses. Like, it was really, really enriching me a lot to, yeah, to connect to all these cultures. Yeah. Wow. And which was your favorite uh, course, really? Um, I think well, I loved the the political courses, uh, mm. like from Peter de Vries, who was I really mm. liked him as a teacher. Uh, but I think my favorite course was one on facilitating interactive processes, mm. I think. And yeah. there we, got, we basically learned about group dynamics, um, about uh, communication, non-violent communication, uh, but very much working with people. That is not just putting people together in a room and saying, okay, work, you know? Yeah. It's really about first you feel a bit shy, you don't know the people and uh, yeah. uh, you have to kind of have some icebreakers and energizers and um, for me that was the first time that I thought ah so it's normal to be a bit nervous when you're yeah. new in a group yeah. like, I always thought it was me and I, yeah. you know and then a lot of people like everyone's feeling that but some yeah. people a lot of people know well how to hide it um, some people get very busy and other get very quiet and how to break the ice in order to come together and make something work and I really liked it because it was very a uh, uh, yeah positive approach it was fun um, and really by connecting people in the right way uh, you can make big change so yeah. I really loved that course yeah yeah because it was a, a totally uh, like this approach is not pushing anything but uh, maybe yeah facilitating the process yeah not uh, leading it yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and later on you you got involved with uh, the rural sociology chair group it was uh, related to your internship yes it was also a, the, no, this internship was here in the Netherlands about yes. uh, yeah. practical uh, course yeah I, I first did my thesis with um, uh, SDC um, chair group which is kind of similar to RSO um, and when I came back then I did my uh, internship with Boerengroep the peasant foundation here in Wageningen and we connected to the rural sociology chair group and then we started the farm experience internship the summer course on agroecology and it was really, really nice. It was my, um, yeah, it was really amazing to, as a student, set up a course uh, yeah. at the university to feel yeah. yeah, empowered that you can do that, that you can shape education. And so um, we, it wasn't um, professors who, uh, who um, decided how the course should look mm -hmm. like and who were teaching. It was the students who asked, okay, this is what we want to learn. And so we are going to invite these and these people and not just professors, but also people who have more practical experience. So farmers, peasants, activists, people from NGOs, people from companies, uh, whoever. So you get a mixed, um, uh, mixed knowledges from people and mixed realities and mixed um, viewpoints. And, yeah. Uh, and we also introduced in that course um, a lot of energizers and icebreakers. So it was not uh, a monologue from one person yeah, yeah. talking to the class, but it was really about interaction. Um, and we have these really nice um, methodologies. It's called, it's, it comes from Dragon Dreaming yeah. uh, in Brazil. And it's really about how to stay focused. So normally after 20 minutes, you kind of lose focus and lose concentration and the teacher continues talking but you are off somewhere yeah. else and you're thinking yeah. I have to do the laundry and I have to yeah. do this and that yeah. and you don't hear anything and it's a pity because you know the story can be interesting but you just don't hear it anymore yeah. so if you have these little tricks um, that we learned with Dragon Dreaming then um, you just take a five minute break and you do for example a little energizer or a meditation mm. and then you start again and you are super focused. So yeah. we had one day this um, this course in Dragon Dreaming 
and we started at nine in the morning and we ended at six mm. and the whole day we were focused wow. and it was incredible because you you will never have that in university at least nice. i don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. i will be yeah. i will be like forgetting a lot of things yeah. And, yeah. and this whole whole summer course was for four weeks right yeah first week introduction uh, yeah and, and then two weeks practically practically yeah so we we started um um actually the, yeah, the first start is really getting together students and then we do nice brainstorm sessions, what we want and we organize it. So that's all also really part of the, the fay is that you empower students to to set up something themselves and to get yeah. familiar. Fay is a farm experience. Yes, uh, Faye, yes, 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 exactly. So, um, and then it starts um, and yeah, we invited um, many different uh, uh, teachers. Uh, so professors from the university, uh, professors from other universities can be there, that can be well, farmers, peasants, activists, people from NGOs, everyone. And um, so they are, we are sharing knowledge together in the first week. We also have some excursions to close by farms and gardens and um, then that's, everyone is then kind of prepared for that, that first week. So we all have like this basic background knowledge. And then for two weeks you go to a, a farm or a garden or a food forest and you really work together with the people and you really experience it because that's really important for just here reading books and, yeah. and uh, yeah. we don't know how it is that it's actually very hard, hard work, hard labor on the yeah. farm but also how beautiful it is to connect and to, to put your hands in the soil and to, to plant your own seeds and, yeah. and, and plants. So you really, it's really about the experience and then after those two weeks, the fourth week we come back together and then we have an evaluation um, how you experienced it and um, if we want to continue with several things, um, you know, it's also the, the moment to connect to each other yeah. and, um, and say, okay, do we want to change something, do we want to set up something and then, yeah, that's yeah. also the moment. And you organized it first in 2015? Yeah, I think it was, I think so, yes. But, but it's still an ongoing course yeah. every summer? Yeah, yeah, ah, I cool. think awesome. yeah. Awesome. I started And, and you are still uh, involved at the Bura Group, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I was two years, like after my internship at Bura Group, yeah. I became a um, coordinator for two years. Um, and then after that, so now I'm again volunteering, but uh, yeah in my little free time because I'm yeah. working uh, full-time in the garden now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm still involved with Boerengroep and yeah. uh, Toekomstboer also. Yeah. So this, this Boerengroep is uh, the peasant organization. Mm -hmm. It's uh, about empowering peasants all over the world. I guess. Or they have this network. Mm -hmm. And it was initiated by Professor van der Ploeg. Or was he was uh, there when they founded he in seventy one um, or something? Yes, they they started it in seventy one, and he was not the initiator, uh, but he was involved very uh, in the very early beginning of Boerengroep. Um And in that time, there were in the seventies there were big big demonstrations uh, because of the low prices already then for the food uh, yeah. and the milk that the farmers got, and Boerengroep, uh really. Yeah, became involved in those struggles and they said, this is an agricultural university, uh, why are we not hearing about all these demonstrations mm. and, and, and mm. the reality of the farmers, it's very far away from wow. our books. So they really wanted to bridge the university and the reality and the challenges from the farmers. Um, because in the end, yeah, that's yeah. what the university yeah. is for, right? Yeah. For yeah. the yeah. For reality and the, the practice, the practical side. So. Um, they started there and they were uh, involved with the coordination of demonstrations in the Netherlands and it was quite big in that time yeah. because um, you ha you could study forever so yeah. they had all the time and they could spend yeah. a lot of time in it. They had this magazine called uh, uh, Landbouwmaand, um, I think it was called, and um, it was really the leftist um, critical organization in that yeah. moment regarding agriculture. Um, and uh, now at this moment it's uh, it's still active. Mm. Um, it's run by one um, coordinator now, Patricia, and um, and a bunch of uh, of students who are volunteers, and uh, there's the board. Um, so they're all doing that besides their studies. Yeah. And it's really nice because you 
yeah, you visit all these farms and gardens and you talk to many people and you, uh, there's also conferences and congresses yeah. and where they go. So it's really nice to, yeah, if you're part of it, you really get a, a, a broad idea of what's going on that you don't hear yeah. within the university. Um, and you get a, a nice network also. It's interesting that you say that it was a leftist uh, movement because I looked into the work of uh, Professor van der Ploeg mm -hmm. and he's very specialized on the de-peasantration, like uh, the peasants were the biggest class of society mm -hmm. and it just shrinked down yeah. and like uh, basically what we have now the, in the cities, the urban population, most of them were peasants a couple of decades ago, maybe 50-60 years ago. And this also means that one or two generations already grown up without knowing the basic skills of how to grow your food. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, this left and right thingy, because I'm from Hungary and we had the communism, so it's mm -hmm. total left, but the same process went on because of this co-host uh, system, so mm -hmm. the the farms were destroyed and everybody had to go into the yeah. cities. So it's very interesting that uh, left and right, mm, yeah, that's the, true. the truth is somehow above or between yeah. and yeah. it's very, we should uh, remain very sharp mm -hmm. when uh, when some, some wing starts to uh, own a case because yep. maybe the other yeah it's just strange yeah no that's totally yeah. true i i spoke to some uh, some peasants in, in nicaragua and they um they were telling also the same like their struggle with communism yeah. um uh, because we see often right that you have capitalism on one side and communism yeah. on the other side yeah. and so um yeah but there is of, of course yeah. also another option and yeah. they were talking a lot about how they were forced to uh, to leave their farm and, and lose their autonomy on what to grow yeah. and the, even the indigenous people it was even worse because they had to become peasants and they said no yeah. we are not peasants we are indigenous peoples and yeah. um, and they were really against the, this communist uh, idea and, and, and government yeah. um, and i think jan Dauer van der Ploeg also really wrote an interesting book um, in his book uh, he's speaking about um, uh, that there was uh, if you have communism and capitalism and you only focus on those two, you forget that there was also the option of, of the peasants, you know, the, yeah. uh, who are saying, okay, we should, should we believe in a state in the first place or, or yeah, do we want to be autonomous and as much as possible yeah. and, uh, and that strength and, and yeah, there's well, there not happy. just that, those two. I'm very happy that you are uh, bringing up these uh, aspects because what we are striving for nowadays, what you hear all from all over coming, that sustainability, circular economy, this new kind of share economy. In a healthy local community, you have all of this, mm -hmm. plus the peasants, even my, my granny's generation, even the later generations in Hungary, they could build their own house and uh, grow their own food. Mm -hmm. And if you have the biggest class of society, which is able to have their own land, build their house and grow their food, then the governments have, have only indeed maybe a facilitation role mm -hmm. and instead of a power role. And I also looked into your profile and you also mentioned that uh, food is often uh, abused for political uh, reasons mm -hmm. or goals and uh, this is also Another aspect what we don't talk about much, but it's happening every yeah. every time. Yes, it's very political. Yeah. Sure. Yes. So it's uh, there is this uh, interesting documentary from John Pildur, and he's talking how food is is a weapon, and, and we never speak about that in that sense. Hmm. So um, uh, in in history and who knows still now we don't know. Um, uh, we saw that. Uh, especially the U.S. government was often giving food aid to certain countries um, but they used it in a, in a weapon, as a weapon in a way that they supported the regimes that they were in favor of and they took away the food aid from the regimes they were not in favor of. Yeah. And often 
um, the regimes they were in favor of were those who opened up for the world market so that they could do business with the yeah. US. And those who wanted to stay autonomous or said, no, we want to have a um, to kind of close our borders in the sense that we want to protect our economy and our, our local markets. They were punished by the US by saying, yeah. okay, we, we quit our food aid and we quit our, um, yeah, our relationships and, and everything. So it was really for a long time, food was not aid as in let's help the hungry people because yeah. the food aid didn't go to the poorest countries. They went to the, the countries with the regimes that the US was in favor of. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's and it's it's very political, of course. Yeah. I I don't know if you are familiar with the the book of uh, the economic hitman from uh, Richard Perkins. He yeah, I heard a, of it. I didn't yeah. read it, yeah. Yeah, he was he was not in only into food, but more into it was the development angle. I don't go into that. If anyone wants to look into Richard Perkins, the economic hitman, just uh, look into that. Also, on YouTube is available. But it's very, very similar. And the other thing is what I was also contemplating with, with food. Like uh, normally when there was, and still up today, when we talk about world hunger, it's mostly in conflict areas. And when, whenever it was a bigger hunger, like in Europe, it was uh, during the war and mostly in the cities because they didn't have access to food all of the the, the peasants the, the countryside was, was still living they were still uh, in balance and that's why also in hungary but as i've heard also in the us but maybe in every country there is this political or mindset difference between uh, rural and urban communities mm. yeah it's a totally different world. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. and and indeed, what you said, um, uh, one out of out of nine people is suffering from hunger, uh, still in this moment. And the strange thing is that eighty percent of them they live in the rural, uh, rural countryside, in the rural areas. Um, and and how how is that possible? How can those who live in the countryside and who are working in the rural areas are the ones who? Um, who suffer from hunger and I, I think it's so important to see that there was this push um, from food crops to cash, cash crops. crops yeah. So food crops are the crops that you grow to feed your own family, it's very diverse, it's small yeah. scale often and then there was, especially after the war, the second world war, there was this huge push to develop the world, um, yeah. like I've seen in Indonesia for my thesis, and they were they were all pushed sometimes by force with military with a, a shock doctrine method towards um, producing cash crops, and cash crops are are there for the world market. It's cotton yeah. and, and soy and coffee and stuff like that. So then, yeah, they have to export it, and then they get money for that. And also using the chemicals. So yeah. it was the same time with the Green Revolution exactly, because they yeah. had to optimize the cultivation area for yes. producing these yeah. cash crops. Yeah. yeah. So in in during my thesis for MDR, I well, so I I always had this um, fascination for the the question: How are we going to feed the world? Yeah. And I didn't get an answer from the yeah biology or the more the, this kind of science uh, the campus here. But I did get more of an answer when I went to the Leeuwenberg Social Science. Yeah. And um, I told my supervisor, I don't want to write my proposal here behind the computer. I want to go to the country and find there my topic. Because yeah. um, I want to see what comes to me and what's there. So I, I went to Indonesia and I, I looked around and I, I spoke to a lot of people and I mailed all the universities and NGOs and sp spoke to peasants and yeah, snowball effect. So we yeah. then this topic came to me. And I found out there was this horrible history where two million people got tortured and killed. Uh, and this was backed actually by the US and UK government. Hmm. Um, f like from after the world, they said, we, we want to um, prevent a famine in the world and we want to help the world to develop. Um, and, and in a hidden way, they were, they were preparing for this overthrow of the government in 65 where um, there is this book from Naomi Klein called The Shock Doctrine, 
it's very very interesting um, because shocks are used to uh, when you are in shock uh, whether it's a natural disaster or a mate like a war uh, involving torture especially then people are so scared that yeah. you know you can just OBD change yeah you are obedient, obedient. obviously yeah. and you can change the government and change policies and that's what happened so the government was changed towards a government that was very uh, in favor of the uh, the US actually there were people who who were cutting uh, got a lot of money from them and who were trained by them in the school uh, in, in in schools in America um, and they they became in favor and they really opened up all the markets and yeah. uh, allowed the green revolution to come in so the industrialization yeah. and this shift from peasant agriculture and food crops towards bigger industrialized farming and cash crops yeah. um yeah it's it was insane to yeah. to hear these stories from the from the farmers and and yeah it was really really amazing and crazy so yeah when i came back i in the netherlands here then when I got involved with Boerengroep and um, and food, you then your whole idea of food is is so different yeah. and, and and agriculture, yeah. yeah, and you really see it as something very very political. Yeah, I I've uh, I've seen it uh, from the angle of uh, grains because uh, Hungary is still uh, a grain grain producer country si since the nineteenth century because of the Habsburgs figured out okay. Hungary is ideal for grains and it was still right before the Second World War Hungary was still the quintessential home of landed aristocracy worldwide so there were the biggest latifundias also compared to the southern American uh, big haciendas and imagine that almost in the middle of Europe and if you think about the grains why was the grain? Because th back then there was no refrigerator, nothing. They could build that, uh, uh, these huge silos. And already back then, 200 years ago, the, they could play with the prices on the stock, mm -hmm. stock exchange and maybe wait for a year or two if, if it was not too, not too ideal for them. So the manipulation was already there. So from that angle, you can also see a lot, and it goes up until today. Mm -hmm. Like if you look around uh, on the street, most of the stuff that you can just buy as a snack is from grains. If you if you eat an animal, that animal was most probably eating grains. Lots of grains, yeah. yeah. But it, in the nature, you would never get exposed to that amount of uh, concentrated grains. Mm -hmm. But it's the same with sugar. So that's what we have to be very conscious about, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. It's scary! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is scary, yeah. I don't know what is your opinion, but uh, how I see the, the food as, as, a, as an entity, let's say, or as a, as a product, that if, you, if there is no, ma no manipulation uh, with the food, you cannot get rich. So if you produce food and you sell it on a fair price, you can have a good living from it because you work for it. Of course, it's still risky, but it's so interesting that the poor farmer is a universal thing, like everywhere, even in Western Europe. If they are not poor, then they have uh, debt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and how can it be possible that the producers all over the world are poor or they are in debt and at the same time from the long 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 food chain which is almost uh, impossible to follow up uh, who is part of it because mm -hmm. we are just so long and where the food is coming from we just don't know but every company every packaging every transportation company every little label company which give another which can give another certificate they they are just fine they are not struggling mm -hmm. and of course when you look around for example in Wageningen and they say oh here is the food industry it's business that's why we have money for research how, how good is for is for us mm -hmm. and for the world 
but then I just don't really understand like that's I also talked about this with Hank uh, a couple of episodes ago that you have these hundreds of millions of farmers who are actually doing the production and you have the couple of billions of people and the consumers who are in chaos because if they are to totally unconscious they just buy the food okay they they don't question they just eat and they get sick after a while maybe not immediately but they develop these chronic diseases but from the moment they watch one or two documentaries and they start to question they really have to do a super Mm, complicated research to know what can they eat and what not. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think what you what you see is true that we are very disconnected from our food, yeah. how it is produced, with, with which methods, and also it's so hard to, you know, um, like the chemicals used, for example. Um, when one person says, "Oh, this is," uh, you get cancer from this, and the other person says, "No, it's safe." And then, and then there is this interest. Like then, for example, there is a company who is um, checking if Roundup from Monsanto is uh, poisonous or not. And then it turns out, no, it's not poisonous. And then it turns out that this research was funded by Monsanto. And then, so in, of course, we don't understand anymore. We don't know anymore who to trust. So there yeah. is this thing like, okay. Even the governments, we, we, we don't always trust anymore because, yeah, they also make mistakes and there's a lot of lobbying and there is companies involved and interests and money. And, yeah, of course, that's hard for the consumer to, uh, yeah. to see. Um, so then a lot of consumers, uh, when, when there is a scandal, uh, like we see in China, for example, where there was uh, uh, poisonous food, poison in the food and people got really scared and then they wanted to... Uh, you know, make sure that the food is safe, uh, and one way is to 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 get again close to your food. So, yeah. for example, a CSA, uh, yeah. you don't have the supermarkets in between yeah. anymore. So just for the those who don't know what CSA is, consumer support community supported yeah. agriculture, yeah. Um, and it's that you um, uh, have a direct link between a producer and the consumer. Yeah. Uh, so the the supermarket is not in between. Um, yeah, and it's nice because you like the garden where I work is a CSA, and yeah. we have a, a, a veggie bag, so people can have a membership, yeah. and then every week you can you, be, you become a shareholder, and every week you can get your share of the harvest, yeah. and that's a veggie bag, and you can yeah you can come there and you can see and you see yeah. how it's grown and it's how totally it transparent. It's yeah. transparent. I get a fair price from the from from the consumer, and the consumer yeah. uh, sees that it's uh, yeah produced in a good way and that of course I would never put chemical uh, stuff in their food because I how can I give a package of food to yeah. someone and knowing yeah. that it's not safe you know yeah. so there is this this relationship again between people and we we support each other yeah and also the community aspect yeah like as a as an entrepreneur as a farmer you have to because that's the pitfall what these uh, cash crop uh, mindset uh, have all over the world that uh, what you actually see is that the poor farmers they are 100% 150% focused on producing more 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 of any cost so they have uh, you know some sometimes loans just to pr uh, just to pay the, the chemicals or they work crazy hours just to have the more crops so they can sell it and they can have more income but <laughs> the more income is not a guarantee because the stock prices are always changing so when you go to the world market there is always you know the people who are uh, you know trading on the, with the stocks you know uh, two episodes or uh, three episodes ago Heis was here uh, he, he was a, a, a he is an ex-banker and he said that uh, the average, average uh, stock, what what you own, the average time of it is 22 seconds. So of course there are these pension funds and all of this for like a couple of years or a couple of months. But with other, other products, other uh, 
stocks it's 22 seconds so it's purely about manipulation and you have a lot of uh, algorithms a lot of softwares mm -hmm. for that so whoever has have access to those they can play with the prices yeah. and the poor farmer cannot do anything about it no. meanwhile those who really earn the money from the packaging till the the, the, the whole retail company the main thing what they do is promotion so my question is why cannot the farmers produce less and promote more <laughs> yeah. maybe that and maybe you know yeah that would be a kind of idea maybe it wouldn't work with cash crops and monoculture but with more diverse diversified uh, plantation it would work and yes. it works already with with the Omur that too, right? Yes, yeah, it's going pretty well. I mean, uh, Esther is getting, the, she's the, the owner and she's getting her income out of it, of one hectare. Uh, and uh, some other people like Hank and me and uh, Michael, we are getting our part-time income out of it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in this moment even, it's my full-time mm. job and income. Yeah. Uh, so it works because, uh, yeah, we have this direct link um, and your question about produce less and promote more, um, yes, that could be possible. I, for sure, we should and go for the quality. And go for the quality, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, the the point is that uh, both organic farmers and conventional farmers, small scale, big scale, um, many different ones that I spoke to, there many of them are. Uh, are stuck in uh, the only the only way they can go in their mind and sometimes also just the way it is is to, to go ahead with what they're already doing yeah. either because they are in huge debt uh, they got a loan from the bank and the bank says we only give you this loan if you have this and this way of farming which is in scaling up uh, bigger uh, more cows bigger stables etc yeah. they have to do that and um, uh, others um, you know they they are on the brink of survival so they if they would change anything in their uh, farming method or in their system and it wouldn't work then who's gonna rescue them in a sense you know like um, if you are just having enough income you don't want to take risks yeah. because that's too scary now from agriculture we go into personal development like people like to stuck in their comfort zone even if it's uncomfortable even if it's uh, not benefiting them uh, most of the people they they cannot take that that leap to to actually yeah shake it off and have this risk and learn but yeah, yeah I cannot collaborate to, on that <laughs> you have to, to imagine that when you are especially when you're living on a farm yeah. Often it's a, it's a farm that is generation to generation in your family. Yeah. And um, when it's up to you to take a decision to make a change, yeah. even though you really believe in it, um, it's so scary because if it goes wrong, it's not just one company, a random company you lose and ah, I'll start something else. No, it's really, and that's when, when we go back, agriculture is not just a company that's producing food. It's really a way of life. And you are really connected to the land. I mean, the, where I work now, it's only the time. I don't even own the place, and I just work there now for three years as volunteer mm. intern and now as a freelancer. But if I'm on a holiday, I really miss it. I mm. miss the land. I miss mm. being there. I'm really connected to it. Mm. I cannot imagine if I would have grown up on a place and and my grandparents would have lived there and built yeah. it up. It's so scary to to make just a little decision and you you don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, we um, this year the Maritime became an official CSA, hmm. um, and uh, I said to Esther, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna um, ask the money really in advance, uh, so we have the money to to invest in seeds and compost and all these things yeah. we need to have on the beginning of the year." Um, and we're gonna raise the the price of the veggie bags with one euro, because that was that price was set seven years ago. So mm. it's fair yeah. now we can raise it with just one euro a mm. week. 
and she was so scared to to make that change. She mm. said, "Yeah, what if people find it too expensive?" And I don't mm. know. And she was really really scared. Just this little, yeah. and it, it's true because if everyone would say, "Ah, this is totally crazy decision," we're gonna leave you, for example, and she wouldn't have customers anymore. Then twenty years of work will be lost. So it is really 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 scary to make changes, especially when it's it's a company that is not really a company but it's really your life yeah. so um yeah in that sense i think if we want to to support farmers making uh changes it should also really be a community who supports it so the yeah. farmer is not the only one who is bearing the risk because yeah. that's yeah. that's not fair indeed indeed, to, indeed indeed yeah to yeah. ask yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, from from the moment uh, the bank bank is there and there's other companies there with uh, the, their own little packages mm -hmm. to have a proper industry of farming, then uh, yeah, it's uh, human farming from that moment. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy because just let go. Let's go back a little bit to the rural sociology and all of these uh, studies like after completing those degrees the master degrees in rural sociology or rural development it's just crazy to actually find a place to to work or whatever or to where can i use it i have still this uh, this uh, dilemma sometimes for me it's pretty much it became an ethical thing that I, I don't want to I, I don't agree what certain companies do mm -hmm. so I, I don't want to work there I don't want to compromise myself and yeah for example that's why I organized last year this uh, social entrepreneurship uh, gathering to you know find some alternatives and indeed also there some participants said that just so crazy that if you want to do something good or something reasonable then you are stuck yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's true I have I think I, I like people around me have the same problem like we when you're done with university you are firstly trained very uh, theoretical and not practical yeah. so the the ambachten, the how do you yeah, say the, yeah. the craft work. Um, uh, there is not really a market for it so much anymore as in the past uh, in the first place um, but I think there is really this disconnection between university and practice so um, when I was done with, with uh, when I graduated from MDR um, my job could have been to work with farmers and um, uh, support them and uh, maybe make uh, innovations but I didn't even know how to grow a potato hmm. And I felt like, what, what, what's this, you know? I, how can I go to a farm and tell farmers what to do or, you know, yeah. like work together with them when I've never even experienced how, how yeah. it is to be a farmer? Um, and so, yeah, indeed, like the only companies where I could go were companies that I was not really <laughs> feeling like, yeah, I want to support yeah. that. Um, and I was very lucky that I find my way I followed my dream and it was very scary sometimes yeah. very very scary uh, because after after my two studies I figured out I wanted to to work on the land you know first it was a, an ideological thing yeah. saying I do not anywhere want to support industries that are guilty of land grabs and exploiting people yeah. in in the third world so I want to um, uh, produce my own food and give people around me the option to not invest their euro in yeah. a negative bad and industries yeah. but in a in a fairly produced product yeah. so that's first I started a kind of a, in an ideological way and when I started to work more and more as a volunteer on the farm I also realized wow after a day of work I feel satisfied mm. and I feel I did something nice mm. and I, I am tired because it's hard work yeah. but I'm happy and it's nice to be in the sun and in the wind and I hear the birds and I'm working with people yeah. there's no stress and I was like ah oh, this this is you know it's really good it's but good for your health is it for my, my granny health? is 95 and well, she's still in the garden yes exactly yeah um, 
and then I started to understand more and more, you know, when we talk about agroecology as a way of life, I said, yeah, it is really a way of life. It's, it's where I, as a human being, belong. I belong on the land where we have, we have been working and living like that for thousands of years. It's in our DNA. Like, yeah. you know, like birds are making nests. We are yeah. working the land. It's very, yeah, I don't know. It's part of, of who we are. Um, yeah, but it was hard because um, as a Tukumsdoer, a future yeah. farmer, I had no access to the knowledge because the practical knowledge, hmm. uh, no, no one ever told me how to grow anything. Uh, I only knew theory from books, so no access to practical knowledge. Um, then no access to land because one hectare in the Netherlands is 80,000 euros. Wow. So it's impossible for me to pay with the study debt. Hmm. No? Hmm. I, I mean, I'm already hmm. glad if I can pay that back. Uh, and then there is the, the access to the market, which is very difficult. You yeah. know, we, we are as a human being, we are, a, uh, if we divide it in that sense, we are a consumer on the one one hand who wants uh, cheap food as possible, and on the other hand, we are um, a citizen who wants sustainability. And you yeah. know, but it's in one person. But we, if you want sustainability, it means you have to pay a bit more for your food, yeah. because uh, cheap food is is not for nothing cheap you know it's yeah. cheap because it's uh, i always say that there is no such a thing like uh, cheap food because you have to pay the price yeah. even uh, the, your environment or your health or you you live shorter or maybe you can uh, you, you can buy cheap ingredients but then it will take your time to prepare the food so it will there is no you cannot uh, bypass no no, no, exactly. No, if you, if you, you know, I, I could uh, say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to read anymore. I'm not doing any yeah. reading. I just buy chemicals and, and kill everything. And then I, then it's easy. I can, I only have to spend some time uh, harvesting. That's it. Um, and then yeah. you have your cheap food, but you're not paying the price that it is doing to the soil and to the environment and to our health and yeah. all these things, you know? So it, it takes time. If you want to produce food in a fair way, for us, for, for you, for the farmers, for our health, for the consumers' health, for the environment, you you need to pay a fair price for it, and it's not. It doesn't have to be extremely expensive. Yeah. You know, there is also food that is like totally too much expensive. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, that's also not the idea because it should be affordable for everyone, right? Yeah. But this really really cheap food, yeah, it's especially since I started working on the land myself. If I now go to to buy something, I'm I'm also really thinking in terms of what am I stimulating by putting my euro into something? Yeah. Where do I put my euro in? Because where you give your money to, that is what you make grow, yeah. right? If you give it to um, to a peasant farmer, then you are supporting that way of production. Yeah. If you give it to a very cheap, uh, it's like energy. Yeah, exactly. In the universe. Yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in a sense it is. So that's that's so, what the big big companies, what we are critical about, they are grabbing the energy of society and people and the, and the souls. And uh, yeah, I don't know how deep are you into food because there is another level with the gut microbiome. Then it's, it's called also our second brain. Then it has even more uh, hormonal activity than our brain. So what you eat is pretty much what you are and also these uh, emotions feelings what you have it can be pretty much related to what you just ate that day yeah, yeah. so it it goes if anyone is listening and is getting uh, confused or scared about food yes it is complicated and it, yes it goes even deeper and <laughs> more complicated <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about it. I only know this one study that I read that they had mice um, and they changed their <clears throat> bacteria yeah. culture in their Fe guts. Fecal transplantation? They have also that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know exactly what they uh, did. But it could be. I know that there are um, uh, neurons that are connected from the gut to the brain and it yeah. made the, the mice... They like did this test nervous. and they had to walk over a thin line yeah. to the other side and one part of the mice they were uh, fine, they did it, and the other didn't dare, dare to do it, so it really made them more um, anxious, and it was only changing the, the bacteria in their gut, so mm. 
yeah, there is a connection to the brain. Um, yeah, so I'm that, not into that too much, but I have yeah. read this article. I know we are in wagoning, so yes. we can ask around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there are certainly many researches about that. But uh, let's talk about a bit about the two cons who are the future farmers because you mentioned them and I also heard about them or this organization from Hank, but I don't yeah. know much about. Yeah, so um, it all started uh, quite some years ago when I was doing my uh, internship at Boergroep and we started with the Fay. Uh, then in the same time there were Joris and Juliana and uh, they were also studying here and they had this hippie van and they went all mm. over Europe to mm. make small videos from uh, young people mainly who started farming again. Mm. Uh, it's called Future Farmers in the Spotlight. You can see yeah. it online, all the movies and they're really inspiring. It was really nice. Um, and when they came back they thought, okay, we made these uh, nice inspiring movies. What else can we do to, su to support this, you know, like there's nothing really about um, uh, people going back into agriculture again. Yeah. And so uh, they decided, uh, let's let's start up something. And uh, Boergroep got involved and I think otherwise as well. And um, some people came together and we started Toekomstboeren, mm. which is um, uh, Future Farmers. Mm. Um, and we decided to just visit farms and gardens and people who wanted to start again in agriculture and we wrote stories about them and yeah. uh, we published it online and also in magazines um, and yeah it was really first about inspiring people that you know what I, what I told you like I wanted to start farming but I had no access to knowledge, no access yeah. to the market, no access to the land so I guess it's impossible. No, it is possible, but you have yeah. to be very creative. So we wanted to to really inspire people and show people that it, it can work if you really want to go for it. Yeah. Um, so we started that. And later on, we became part of La Via Campesina. Mm -hmm. um, and so we also got connected to uh, organizations and NGOs uh, throughout the whole world. Like mm. I think wow. 80, 80 countries are part of them. Uh, and that was really, really nice. So we went for Tukumsburu to the Nieleni conference yeah. on food sovereignty. And uh, it was super inspiring to hear that actually our struggle uh, to, to land, you know, access to land, for example, um, and uh, loss of biodiversity and loss of knowledge is, uh, is, a, is a struggle everywhere. So yeah. we, we, all of a sudden we were there and you, you, were, you were like, one big family, you know, you feel yeah, very connected yeah. because they have the same passion for the land, for seeds, for plants, for animals, and um, and the same challenges also yeah. in, in, of course, different ways, like a peasant in, in Latin America is, is different than being a peasant here in the Netherlands, but in a sense we understand each other, we speak the same yeah. language actually. It's uh, interesting because when I was uh, growing up in Hungary, the agriculture was always a, a topic in the news and everywhere. and. Uh, and uh, the local farmers who don't uh, follow international news or don't travel, they think that in other countries it's different. They think that, oh, in Western Europe it's, it's different. They are they're the rich farmers, so, you know, they have they are the rich consumers, so they figured it out. But when I came here, I, I've heard that uh, it's a universal thing that uh, there are poor farmers everywhere and even here it's a struggle with the land and everything it it gave me a totally different uh, you know feeling and aspect of like, like okay what is happening that is like it's by design it's not a country specific uh, thing it's uh, it's more about certain regulations certain uh, the banking system the chemical companies or the big uh, meat companies, all of them are, yeah, they set the rules of the game and they, it's like a monopoly pretty much. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I spoke to uh, uh, peasants in other, in other countries and they all have the idea that the Netherlands is, hmm. is like heaven and we're all rich and it's nice and um, of course we are I am very, very happy and grateful that I am uh, in this position of not having to worry about my food and yeah. uh, having a roof above my head, obviously. Um, but I tell them, 
you know, we have lost six out of seven farms in the Netherlands since the 1950s. And at this moment, we are losing 22 farms every day in the Netherlands alone. And this is not because um, we don't have a good infrastructure, we don't have proper education, um, because uh, the yields are really bad, um, because we have uh, no proper roads to the city. We all have that. It's not because of a lack of technology. You know, the Netherlands is the, the big example of, of yeah. high tech agriculture. It's really about the price. We are like the, the costs are increasing and the prices are going down. Um, and it's, yeah, it's hard to, to make a living. Like many farmers are now in debt. They, they can only, you know, grow bigger. If, if the price goes down that they get for, for a liter of milk, for example, the only way to survive is to produce more milk. Yeah. So you have to go to the bank, get a loan, uh, build more stables, have more cows, and then you can just survive. But this is the, the same patterns what we discussed, that it's just not a, a viable way. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's, it's really, really about a fair price and a fair income. Yeah. And also when, when we talk about, um, again, uh, what am I saying, one out of nine people, are suffering from hunger, 80% of them live in the countryside. When I was meeting people from La Via Campesina in this uh, conference, and they wrote together uh, a declaration, the Nilini Declaration, um, what it was that they said, and they were people from 80 countries representing a lot, a lot of, of peasants. And what these people said, so the, the rural poor, the people who are hungry, what they said was, not that they wanted to be fed by the Western world, that they wanted technologies from Wageningen University. Mm. They said, we, are, we want food sovereignty and we are fighting against things like land grabbing, against yeah. the privatization of our land, of our water, of our seeds, of the push of the green revolution, yeah. of the shift from uh, food crops to cash crops, of corrupt governments. That's what they wanted to fight against. Yeah. They didn't ask for for more food from the West or yeah. to help them in that way. Um, it was, it's what we were talking a bit before we started yeah. this podcast, that um, a lot of companies are selling their, um, their techniques, their technologies, uh, whether it's about uh, agricultural technologies or, or seeds. Um, they are selling it as if they are doing such a good thing to help the poor people, but it's just a nice business trick to sell their products. Yeah. Because if you really, really want to help the rural poor, then why don't you ask them what they want? Yeah. You know, why don't you go to them and say, what is it that you need? And you will hear a totally different answer than we want more food or we want technologies because technologies and patented seeds is only going to make them more dependent from the world market and they want to be less dependent from that. Indeed. So, um, yeah, I think everyone who wants to do something good yeah. and help the poor people, go to them and ask go into conversation with them and don't pretend like you are the, you know, the knowledgeable white person yeah. who knows what the world mm. needs. Yeah. But uh, we also have to, like, for example, now we are using microphones, cameras and stuff. So it's nothing about technology itself. The farming uh, in a the decentralized way, or not uh, crash cash crops, but CSA, using some technology like an app or a sensor or whatever it it can make it even fun and much easier than uh, 10 20 or 15 years ago or 100 years ago so because that's what i also see a little bit that is pretty a little bit polarized also in wagoning and then one is just the ag tech technocrats and the, and the others uh, almost trying to solve without any technology because mm -hmm. she is so disgusted about the whole uh, enslavement uh, through the technologies and the whole financial package which comes with the technology that they just don't want it but I think there is also some middle way or something between what we can actually use because there are many cool people not everybody is greedy and super techno technocrat a robot face guy but uh, there are some very bright minds around who actually uh, finding out cool stuff of course the the financial part actually uh, two weeks ago we were talking about uh, with Eric Kroon uh, from Pau that yeah it's 
only the complicated te technology is financed because it it uh, generates the 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 need for for bank loans and the whole the payback but there are many other good and usable technologies little yeah, small yeah. of course i mean um with technologies i really mean these really yeah. um the companies who are really uh, aiming at large-scale agriculture yeah. and making money of that yeah. so they really you know, you can't really make a lot of money on peasantry i think yeah. Yeah. um so they focus on really big scale that's what i mean but obviously yeah, yeah. i'm not against technology yeah, yeah. because my wheelbarrow is technology yeah, and yeah. my hoe is technology yeah. and um if i could use some kind of app that um uh shows me shows me which uh, areas of the field need irrigation why yeah. not that makes yeah, like yeah, better yeah. right yeah. as long as we don't have technology replacing an income of someone yeah. so someone's job yeah. uh, and as long as technology doesn't make us um, very dependent, you know, yeah. in terms of on technology. <laughs> yeah, on, on, on the input on yeah. that technology. And there are people doing great, great um, things. Like you have this group in France, I think they're called Atelier Paysan, and mm -hmm. they are um, producing themselves a kind of technologies. They take tools or, or machines um, and they they re kind of rebuild them so they fit the, that farm size and it's often really about yeah. peasant farming yeah. and then they upload this design on the internet and everyone is uh, free to download it again mm. and to make it themselves yeah. so it's yeah DIY it's, there, there is a lot of DIY stuff out yeah, there yeah, so yeah, exactly. and the other thing That's is amazing. the Western mindset they, they want uh, or we want I don't know if I'm if I belong to the Western world <laughs> uh, but it's about comfort but all of these these guys, the personal development gurus and stuff, and CEOs and uh, you know these people like the Iceman behind you, <laughs> and even the doctors, they say comfort is killing us. For example, with with gardening, you are exposed to stuff, <laughs> what is yeah. good for you in the end. Mm -hmm. But if you avoid all of that because you just want to have a comfortable lifestyle and uh, and have everything ready, then it's not good for you. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I think when I was um, studying biology and I wasn't into farming yet so much, I um, I actually was quite depressed. Like hmm. I, I felt very. Um, I didn't have an aim. I didn't know where I wanted to go. What I liked. Uh, everything around me didn't really make me enthusiastic um, mm. and I was really um, I remember I had this dream that I was walking on the highway and everyone was just going very fast yeah. next to me going through their destination yeah. and I just wanted to take the exit but I, I couldn't yeah. I felt stuck um, and um, yeah if I look back now I, I can totally understand why because I think again um, like as a human being you you are creative you want to create things like uh, the ambach that are yeah. handcraft craft, craft, craft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, working on the land being outside in the sun in the air working with your body and not just with yeah. your mind you know when i was only studying writing my thesis i was you know i was sitting not doing anything i was just typing and, yeah. and i was in my head and then you know i i got this panic attack sometimes yeah. and yeah. and i Oh, I, I really didn't like it and then I went to the field and I work and I work with my body again yeah. not only with my mind and um, and I breathe the air and I see plants grow and I feel the sun and it's yeah it's really it's really really different yeah. and you don't have to still go at 9 o'clock to the gym because it's still open till half past 10 or something mm -hmm. and to, to make things again yourself to, yeah. to I don't know to to carve your own spoon or do something with wood yeah. or to make your own clothes or to grow your own food it's I don't know why but apparently it gives us uh, satisfaction and, and makes us we human. are creators yeah we are creators yeah. and we, we lost that I think yeah. because um, yeah we're a bit isolated from from that creativity yeah. so what's the the next uh, step now you are kind of settled at the Omur Detail but uh, while I was reading your profile, I've also seen some plans about a future farm at some point. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I would like to have in the end my own um, 
farm hopefully with maybe with some friends that would be nice yeah. but yeah there's the the thing with um with the money um and well a short-term uh dream is to start a a kind of winter course at over the time mm -hmm. about uh, agroecology in, in practice and um, yeah that's a mm -hmm. kind of thing we want to do but in the end i hope to yeah to really live like a peasant on my own mm. farm and um, be more self-sufficient yeah are you also familiar with the earthship movement mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean i'm not sure if the the second hand tires are a good good idea but the whole principle is, is that uh, when you build your house it's going to take care of you mm -hmm. so that that part i really like yeah i would love to to build yeah. my own house but i think i would prefer to build it from wood yeah but uh yeah. small and doesn't need to be big um and have a nice uh plot of land with some mm. nature around it and um and my own yeah, I would like. I would really like to build my own house uh, to learn it. I have no idea how to do it, yeah. but uh, to learn that it's a nice process. YouTube University. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. So and for the summer, now the from this week the season is on. Mhm. Mm yeah. So it's gonna be tough. Yeah, or not? It's, uh, yeah. Forty hours a week at least, yeah. and sometimes more when there are events. Um, yeah, it's nice, and um, we had our first uh, veggie bags this week mm -hmm. that we uh, we delivered at the f well, at the farm and the pickup points here in Wageningen. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Everything. So you have the one person's veggie bag, the two persons, and the family. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, you can choose what you want, and yeah. uh, if you are not sure, you can always take a, a proof packet, so a mm -hmm. try out uh, mm -hmm. and for four weeks, and if you mm -hmm. like it, then you yeah, can cool. continue. Cool. And uh, yeah, the, the website is, uh, oh, we're going to put all of the links in the description. And and always feel free to pass by every Wednesday yeah. and Saturday in the garden. We have a terrace with um, uh, with a soup that we make from yeah. products and quiche and, uh, yeah. and, and you can buy there your vegetables. And yeah. little plants and seeds, and uh, so it's nice. Cool. Yes. So, thank you very much for the fascinating conversation. Thank you too for inviting. Bye bye, people. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> <laughs> wow.